Hello, Mr. Steiner's office. My daughter Alice is in your class. This is supposed to be American English literature. She brought a book home I swear is in Latin. What is on your curriculum? I assure you, ma'am, The Wizard of Oz is a children's classic. She might have put the dust jacket of Wizard of Oz on this book. This is not Wizard of Oz. This book looks like it's made out of flesh. What are you having these children read? Oh, now that's one of our secret assignments for outstanding students. Alice! She is saying all types of things. She is putting salt all over my floor. What are you teaching her? I need answers or I'm going to be calling the school board. You have nothing to worry about. I assure you, the Necronomicon is quite wholesome. That doesn't seem very wholesome to me. I find it very disturbing. I think it's completely inappropriate to have such a grotesque thing on the reading list. I'm going to be talking to the... Alice, what are you... Who is that? Oh my god! Alice? Oh my god! Get, no! 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 no. Mr. Shockman, I'm gonna have to hang up soon! Oh, oh, oh. Yes, still here. It's Alice. Oh, hi, Alice. Oh my God, it like totally worked. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But like, I have one question. How do I get him to go back? Hey, Mr. Steiner again. Today's assignment is Fake Ritual, hosted by Lucas Sloppy. And remember, no cheating. Sure thing, Teach. I'd rather die than let you down. Hello, and welcome to Episode 4 of Fake Ritual, the podcast, your guide to pop culture and the occult. I'm your host, Lucas Sloppy, and today we're talking with my good friend, Maggie Lynn Negretti, about kids and the occult. We meet with the Brothers Grimm, wander into Wonderland, and ask a rather important question. Are you afraid of the dark? All right, kitties, make sure your parents aren't in the room, and settle down for my conversation with the best witch. Maggie Lynn Negretti. My guest today is a Pittsburgh-based illustrator, educator, mother, and witch, Maggie Lynn Negretti. Hello, Maggie. Hello. How are you? Thank you Good. for it's having me on. To, it's wonderful to have you. I'm very excited. Uh, this is my first remotely recorded episode. I'm looking at you in a screen because we're being safe. Yes, it's always important in magic and in pandemics to be safe. That Use is very protection. true. Good way to tie it in. <laughs> I knew I picked the right guest. Uh, well, today we're talking about kids in the occult. What for you growing up, was your experience with occult ideas? I read a lot of fairy tales as a kid. My mom was always offering me mythology. And so was definitely primed to start asking for it when I could. My mom let me watch Cronenberg's The Fly as a kid. Which like, is insane. I mean, I, yeah, I no, can barely there's watch a, that now. There's a lot of movies that I like look back on, especially since I've worked with children so much. And I'm just like, Mom, why did you show me that? That was completely inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Um, Different but times. I turned out okay. <laughs> but yeah, I would yeah, watch no, uh, The Fly. Yeah, no felonies yet. 
Yeah, <laughs> I haven't killed anyone. I yeah. swear. There's the scene where he gets his fly strength, and he's in a bar and he's um, arm wrestling this beefy dude, and he ends up just like cracking his arm in half. And yeah, I, yeah, uh... I would laugh. And my uncle used to call me the demon child, um, in a real affectionate way. But <laughs> naturally, yeah. Um, you well, know, that's... my favorite movie when I was really little was also like Beetlejuice. I supposedly watched it 33 times in a row. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, a lot of, a lot of that kind of popular culture occultism was offered to me. Yeah. Like regularly. You allowed it, not yeah. necessarily warned against it. Yeah. Me growing up super Christian anything that even resembled occultism was a tool of the devil, mm -hmm. which, you know, didn't stop me from taking it in because uh, I wasn't a very good Christian. But uh, it's nice to hear that that didn't happen to everyone. I My family went to church when I was younger, but then um, my mom and I, we lived with our my grandparents for the first, like, Eight years of my life and when we moved out then it was like no holds barred um my mom would take me to see tibetan monks um oh. i had my first actual religious experience when i saw a yogi and he was chanting um that was a hugely impactful experience to me to see him and this community of um, mostly Indian families, but of course some, you know, new agey white people like my mom. That with um, a really early experience when I was in Sunday school, I was reading the Bible and I asked my mom, like, how come Noah lived for 400 years like there weren't any doctors or hospitals or like any science like we have like how did he live so long and like I you know something about after the flood people live normal lifetimes whatever but that didn't make sense to me I was a very scientific minded kid and so I was like oh this is just a storybook so I had a kind of a, a breaking from organized religion at a pretty young age or at least awareness that it wasn't all that it seemed yeah it definitely wasn't worth interpreting literally yeah 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 like which is just kind of talk about missing the point you know i think people forget that there's value in metaphor metaphor is how humans uh explain the unexplainable how we it's mythology you know, yeah, we talk about the ephemeral and especially back before psychology and mm -hmm. any kind of like, you know, hard science pertaining to the mind, people had to use, you know, they externalized it by way of these stories and the mythology, what whatever mythology you're reading is is really just like the trying to use what you have around you, whether it's animals plants and explaining how the world works through those archetypes like native americans i mean you know coyote is a huge creator and yeah. we learn so much through him and through his his mishaps and trickeries things in our world came to be yeah. now just apply that to any culture and mm -hmm. you you have you have fantasy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that I feel like a lot of fundamentalists get wrong. It's just this like dogma and almost this uh talking kids, it's this sort of mm -hmm. this sort of uh shackle they put on yes. imagination. Yes. You know, they want it to stop at a certain point and, you know, not allow it to be used uh by, you know, dark spirits or what have you. I mean but Religion requires belief, right? You know, it requires faith, which is really a t is is a artifact of imagination. We can imagine yes. that this god 
these gods, whatever it is, exist, we imagine their personalities. Mm-hmm. And then, then we apply moral structure on top of that. But yeah, you know, I was a kid who wasn't, wasn't willing to limit that imagination. So I was primed. I was primed from a young age to be just a weirdo. <laughs> well, yeah, let's let's talk about fairy tales then, because you were saying you grew yeah. up around those. And I feel if we're talking kids in the occult, I mean, that's kind of like all of our collective uh, introduction to that, at least in the what would be called the Western world, at least in America. Yeah, no, I like I've been mentioning mythology. I, I feel like for a lot of modern day, a, a sort of a new mythology comes from like fairy tales where we've we've mythologized those stories in that we see them written in a million different ways and you know there's a how many different movies you see based on Grimm's fairy tales or how many yeah. different um Disney alone yeah right, yeah they wouldn't have a uh, animation catalog yeah um and and those stories much like what we would say is like more spiritual or ancient cultural mythologies, they are in some ways a lot teaching tools. Um, yes. And as an educator, we're constantly looking t for stories to be our teaching tools, to engage children and to hopefully at the other end of the story have them internalize a message uh, so that's why you see so many young you know books for young children they teach about colors right they teach about numbers but they also teach about social engagement so how should I act when someone's upset you know this social mm -hmm. emotional skills um, how to teach boundaries and we see a lot of Grimm's fairy tales basically parents scaring the shit of their kids from wandering into the woods alone into defying their parental authority they weren't originally even intended for kids they were more just a collection of folk tales that these brothers jacob and wilhelm right. uh in 1812 published under what in german translated to children's and household tales which doesn't really have the same ring. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they were just, uh, it was it was at a time when Germany was still fragmented and into all mm -hmm. these, you know, nation states or whatever. So they were trying to rally this German identity. So they were picking all these stories from like all over Europe and then Germanizing them, making them, as I read it, uh, or heard it put authentically rustic, which <laughs> when you read through them, they certainly are. They have this <laughs> this charm to them that's kind of uncanny. It's definitely a world that we don't know of. But then ultimately they, you know, reworked them to be the kids' tales we know now. But are you familiar with some of the things that were changed, like some of the more violent aspects I, of your Cinderella's, your Snow White's, your so Rapunzel's. my favorite is Sleeping Beauty. Okay. Um, and that story is effed. Thank you in, for censoring yourself. Yeah. In case is, the kids are listening, is effed. Um, the story that we know through like the Disney movie ends yeah. when she is awoken. And she's only asleep for so long in that yeah. story. But in the original, she's asleep for 100 years. Uh. And during that time, the prince comes and impregnates her. And it's not his kiss that awakens her. It's actually the tears of her newborn child. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's not the end. Um, and then they, she goes... To live with her new husband and her children, whom were born when she was asleep, so she was raped. Um, 
she goes to live with her her husband, the prince, and his parents. His mother is an ogre, and the prince goes off to fight some war. And meanwhile, the mom, this ogre, is trying to eat Sleeping Beauty and her kids. And Sleeping Beauty is like basically being gaslit and is like, "Help me, help me!" The, this <laughs> this ogre queen is trying to kill me and my children and everyone's like you're weird uh-huh. you were asleep for a hundred years <laughs> i can't trust you but <laughs> yeah. finally like the prince comes home and ends up throwing his mother into like a pot of boiling oil or something yeah i feel like that is the end of most a grim fairy tale it's like <laughs> and then they fell into the pot of boiling oil like they a lot of them end and it's just like oh <laughs> like yeah, yeah. something's lost in the translation but it actually adds to this this strangeness of the entire well, there's a certain finality to a pot of boiling oil apple in the brew let the sleeping death see through look on the skin the symbol of what lies within me now turn red tempt snow white to make a hunger for a bite. <laughs> Have a bite? <laughs> it's not for you. It's for Snow White. When she breaks the tender peel to taste the apple in my hand, a breath will still, a blood can heal. Then I'll be perished in the land. <laughs> Grimm's fairy tales, you know, those stories that were collected by the Grimm's brothers, you know, weren't originally children's stories. Yes. But then were collected and retooled and sold under the guise of children's stories. I think what a lot had to do in regard to that is, you know, 1812, when they were released, they had only just ended the Inquisition formally. And so you have all these traditional stories that are told by families and adults around the fires, and they have a lot of themes that deal with being growing up in this world of inquisition where if you were someone who dabbled in witchcraft, if you were just a healer, you were targeted and so how do you sell a, a book full of stories about fantastical elements and then say it's for adults? That would be considered heretical in such a Christian world. Mm. So saying mm-hmm. it's for children, and it becomes this realm of fantasy. And children are allowed to engage in fantasy in a way that adults, especially at that time... Mm, Um, what's allowable for children might not be allowable for an early 19th century adult who is very beholden to their, to their, um, to their church and their, you know, the Puritans are happening. (laughs) There's a chronology that where Grimm's fairy tales is, you know, a lot of the stories talk about an evil witch lives in the woods we're looking at magic witchcraft occultism as something that we should fear it's a a power source that is dangerous 
and that has to do with that those early Christian roots. And then we start moving into um, a resurgence in the genre literature of the late Victorian era. That's where we see a huge boom of fantasy, where sci-fi really comes into play, and yeah. and horror. Well, yeah, this is with uh, things getting popular like, uh, you know, spiritualism movement, mm-hmm. which largely came out of theosophy, which was Madame Blavatsky's sort of, you know, this take this universal religion kind of finding the, uh, the you know, the common, in a way. yeah, the consensus and, and using it as like, a path to divinity, not like a path to uh, worship divinity. But interested to find out that uh, Frank L. Baum that wrote the Wizard of Oz series was himself a theosophist. Yeah, it's And so hid a lot amazing. of allegory in the story. Theosophists were definitely interested in connecting with children part of the early theosophy community before Blavatsky really kind of went her way and uh, made theosophy kind of the big osophy it is was Rudolf Steiner. The big osophy, I like that. (laughs) A lot of people don't know his name, but they know what he, his legacy. And that's biodynamic farming and it's Waldorf schools. Rudolf Steiner had a whole theory of how people develop from birth through adulthood and they've moved through these stages of development that match the sort of layers of existence that we have as corporeal beings. We all have these different layers to our existence that go from the very primal instinctual areas that would be associated with say infancy that basically like I got to shit and I got to eat or poop I got to eat. <laughs> Sorry, I cussed. Um but That's also <laughs> all right, I don't. Yeah, I'm going to no kid. Kids, if you're listening, uh turn this off, please. But but the hottest realm of course is that when we move past the ego to sort of our spiritual connection. Steiner took this idea of these layers of development and applied them to development across the human life and then said, well, if we are looking to, as theosophists, connect people to these higher realms, we can't just start when they're adults. Yeah, that's true. be educating them from the youngest ages so they're already sort of vibrating on the right frequency, so to speak. And part of that was also using his theories to say, well, when should we introduce math skills? When should we introduce reading skills? It even goes down to the color that the walls are painted in Waldorf schools. They're all sort of You were of this, telling me that. They're all like this apricot color. I can't re- There's a specific name for it. I can't remember. But it's a really warm, you know, soft, orangey, yellow. And it's meant to energize but also sort of calm the right energies so it's Waldorf schools I think a lot of people just think of like hippie crunchy schools but they're extremely spiritual in their um, in their philosophy of teaching and while you're not going to hear theosophy in a Waldorf school per se it's, it's built upon those those ideas personally i i ascribe to a a brand a brand i don't know i think of occultism in terms of belief is subjective Mm -hmm. and we are the ultimate authorities on our own Mm -hmm. spiritual journey yeah we yeah we are we are divine yeah so it's kind of human body right now yeah so there is going to be it's going to be tricky whenever you're trying to do some, you know, kind of a curriculum, mm-hmm. like, big swath of, you know, like, try to apply this to a group of kids. That's where, like, I like the idea, but 
you wonder if it is doing what they set out for it to do. It at least is, you know, taking education to a higher degree of uh, worth than the rest of the country does at large. So I think that in and of itself could really benefit, uh, you know, kids in these schools. There are definitely uh, best practices in education, especially for young children, that Rudolf Steiner got right with Waldorf schools. Um, You know, it's very play-based, hands-on learning through making. So a lot of it he gets right. He gets to it in not a scientific way, air quotes, but through this spiritual way of theosophy. So, you know, it's kind of the idea of, you know, Buddhist monks have understood the Adam for a long time through meditation and have described it centuries ago. But, you know, it takes a microscope to confirm that information. Every human heart will shudder Every soul will shake with fear Tonight, the creepiest Tonight, the scariest Tonight, the most wonderful Do you think that Frank L. Baum writing Wizard of Oz was influenced by Alice in Wonderland? Oh, for sure. I right? Think I mean, kind of everything was influenced by Alice in Wonderland after Alice in Wonderland. I, I mentioned I read Alice, um, excuse me, Wizard of Oz five times in fifth grade. I've probably read Alice in Wonderland like 30 times throughout my life. Damn. It's one of my favorite because I love the wordplay. Words actually get smaller as Alice shrinks at one point in the story. Uh, so I love oh, it. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. I, I mean, was big into this sort of escape. Like Alice. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's like sort of Dorothy. the ultimate fantasy, the, the like whisked away to a magical world. Uh, and so much of children's literature and I think Alice and Wonderland typify it is where children go they can go to a place where they are considered equals you know in 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 the story of Alice she goes to a contrary world where she suddenly is the most logical mature person there I feel like even in the beginning, she's kind of like bored with the world. She's being like taught this lesson. She wants to rebel against the conformity of maturation in her world and retreat to this world where she feels like she can be silly and playful. But when that kind of chaos is amplified... In a, in a contrary world like the Wonderland, she wants to go back to yes where things have one meaning. And it really is yeah, an allegory for her coming of age. But also holds within it like a lot of what have been interpreted as occult ideas or at least like adult ideas, uh, philosophical ideas. I mostly talk about... Uh, through the looking glass. Yeah, that was Simply because wild. that taps into m- my fascination as a child and even still with mirrors mm-hmm. and kind of this idea of like 
the inverse, mm-hmm. which is even, you know, crops up in def- certain, you know, magical circles as far as, you know, like satanic inversion of certain concepts to gain power over them in mm-hmm. a way. Uh, have you seen The Last Mimsy from 2007? I have not seen The Last Mimsy. It is a bad name. It is a very bad name. It was originally, the creators wanted to call it The Gifted, but the I guess the like press releases had already been put out, so it was too late. <laughs> and it is extrapolating. It's from a short story written in the 1940s, uh, basically about a society in millions of years in the future this scientist attempting to build a time machine so he sends things back into the past and one arrives in 1940 in england i think and another in uh the 1800s to alice lindell who apparently like gains some sort of at least in in this 2007 movie it's pretty much about kids gaining psychic powers by way of this future technology being sent back. And the kids that were, uh, the kids in the 40s that got the, th- the toys use uh, the Jabberwocky as a map to craft a time machine. And the short story ends with them being whisked away in front of their father's eyes. <sighs> and the 2007 version is a little, it reads like a family film but with these really high concepts and like alien illusions. But mostly I just am interested in these I- the idea of like children with power. We start to see this transition from the occult elements being outside of the individual child. Like, you know, Alice and Dorothy, they are outsiders to these magical worlds and they're just interacting with them. But I think like in the 60s and 70s especially we start to see the children become the gifted as you mentioned we start seeing a way more in popular culture um you see the rise of wicca you see a resurgence of witchcraft and i mean just that counterculture movement of the 60s just gave people you know so much right and that's where like some one of my favorite book series, The Worst Witch, comes out of is 1970s. Okay. Um, and The Worst Witch is about this girl named Mildred Howell. She's just a regular girl who gets a letter one day saying that she is being, you know, invited to join this breeding school for witches. That she's actually a witch and she can go learn at this, this school. And I think what I loved about it was, you know, it's a, this school was a community of witches, you know, everyone had their own personalities. Some, you know, there were more wicked witches, there were, but they were really nurturing witches too. And the children were witches. They had the power themselves. Yes, Uh, they weren't just Hansel and Gretel in the, you know, the hutch of the of the wicked you know of a wicked witch and i don't know if you ever saw this movie but there was a movie made from the worst witch in 1986 with feruza bulk yeah you told me i saw feruza bulk you mentioned that name and i was like oh what you've probably seen like a gif or even the a youtube video of tim curry in that movie he plays the great wizard who's coming to visit the school on halloween i've seen that yeah yeah you've seen it (laughs) Well, that, you know, that movie is great. <laughs> great a bit of popular culture. I saw that movie and I was so excited about it. That's what got my mom to buy me the books. And so then I started nice, reading yes. the stories. My mom would have been so scared if I... My mom was scared of Harry Potter because well, the church told her to be. I admittedly i read like the first four books of harry potter and then i just was fed up because i was like this is such a rip off of the worst witch i love that it took you four four of the books which would relate which would translate to what like two thousand pages 
I was also at home. I was like visiting my dad at the time. And I, I mean, they're, was, they're pretty readable. They're definitely readable. I was like, I need something to do. I was just going to power read all four of these books in like two weeks. Um, but yeah, so The Worst Witch, a good example of now this sort of larger popular uh, story. This The book was written in the UK, so you know, not the biggest crossover to the U.S., especially the time period. But then um, he put out a movie called Escape to Witch Mountain then, okay, like, yes. in 1975. And again, this is about kids with powers. And it's 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 a crazy yeah, story. You watched it. I, I told you about it as if I would watch it. But, but I had watched, watched it when it. I was a kid. I okay, remember okay. this. I, oh, yeah. Again, remember, I was I lived with my grandparents for the first nine years of my life, so I watched a lot of old movies. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Escape to Witch Mountain, also my daughter, who's a year and a half, was absolutely transfixed by it, which we did not expect when I watched it again today. Um, yeah, I feel like most 1970s movies... Yeah. I wouldn't expect. She, I don't know, it just, she was into it. But it basically is about these two kids, Tia and Tony, and they have these supernatural powers. They can communicate tel- telepathically. They can hear things, like they hear these dogs barking, and they know that it's not the sound of something they've heard before but it might be a sound of something they're going to hear in the future. Like they have some psychic... Now, are they extraterrestrials? Yeah, so that's the that's the the hitch in the movie is throughout the whole movie, people are calling them witches. They're saying they're, they're like doing witchcraft, but really they're aliens. Um, See, that's spoilers! What, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, if you haven't seen the 1974 movie, I'm sorry. But the like the the action of the movie is... There's this guy named Mr. Bolt, and he is this, like, high-powered millionaire, whatever. He's got this huge compound. And the first time you meet him, he has a guru, an astrologer, and this other guy there who are trying to advise him on how he can make more money and enrich himself, gain more power, and using these occult ideas to sort of help further him. And when he discovers Tia and Tony who are able to actually predict things that will happen, he immediately wants to covet those children and their powers. Luckily, these kids have have power and they're able to get away from him. But I found it so interesting that the movie really shows how adults... Our concern is so much about resources and security. And yeah, this adult was even using occultism to try and further those goals. Whereas T and Tony had abilities, but they weren't looking to enrich themselves with it. Their abilities made them feel connected to each other. They were looking to connect to their family that they had lost to understand themselves in this power. A lot of times they use their abilities to entertain themselves. Um, Tony plays the harmonica and can move things. Um, So, again, we're starting to see, like, in the 70s, especially into into 80s, now children have power. It's not yeah. just making children fearful of power. It's allowing kids to have sort of this wish fulfillment mm-hmm. where they have, they have a power that adults want and can have. And it's, it's truly, it's imagination. It's the yeah, ability. I really, if we're talking kids in the occult, I... I really believe that a lot of occultism is about trying to tap into that innate power we have as children mm-hmm. to conjure worlds, to imagine possibilities, to really like see the world as more than what's just, you know, going into our eye holes. <laughs> and, and you know, it's just a shame that it's it's kept from kids for, you know, fearful reasons. And I think 
children have an innate connection to nature, mm -hmm. to plants and animals, and a lot of times as we grow older, you know, obviously, like, I don't feel this way. I garden. I love teaching children to garden. I feel very connected. I mean, it's part of my my magical practice is to be part of the cycles of the season. But a lot of people are really disconnected from that. They're disconnected from that energy that really is present in all things. Whereas children, they're, they're not encumbered by the weight of reality. And they totally. can see into these other realms in a way just by just because they're willing to. A lot of our school's system is about teaching uniformity, is about teaching these logical systems, and it's not about imagination. No, it's about making, yeah, like, people to work. But not even. It's, it's you know, if we were really trying to teach people skills to apply to careers, yeah. we be teaching them fucking calculus. That's true. The amount of people that use calculus in their day-to-day -day life is very slim. No offense to the engineers and scientists out there who do use it, but so much of what we do, sit in rows, stay quiet, raise your hand, like this is how you get to the right answer saying that there is one right answer it's that really about real. it's about limiting thought to encourage conformity i personally that i know that a lot of my teaching ethos is about open-ended projects trying to allow children to pursue their own interests because if you have that intrinsic motivation you're going to improve the base skills you need your math your reading because you're going to yeah. need those as tools to get what you are trying to get out of your education but regardless i think fantasy though has become you know occultism being a major topic of fantasy and literature and in movie I think it's become way more prevalent even for adults in part totally. because we have like the skills with graphics to make the fantasy look believable to make the magic look believable and now you know we're, I can't even remember what season we're on of Supernatural on the CW. <laughs> but, you know, like, there are so many TV shows and movies that have these 
occult ideas that are now it's it's yeah. pervasive and yeah almost to an obnoxious degree yeah almost to a degree where you're like i was into this before it was cool my hipster yeah like, you're, yeah yeah <laughs> hipster occultist yeah i'm about that but uh speaking of things that uh we were into before it was cool uh if that's any kind of transition i want to talk about are you afraid of the dark because if anything gave me insight into occult ideas growing up it was that show because i goddamn loved that show me too me too there in the 90s there was a lot of resurgence of these sort of monster of the week anthologies right you know there's are you afraid of the dark there was a whole new um new version on sci-fi of the outer limits like there was we Even saw X-Files. these yeah we saw these kind of these stories where adults and kids were allowed to sort of imagine alternate realities but the thing i remember the most is the midnight society yes yeah like one cool last name yeah right like wanted to be part of it Definitely. I dreamed of having a spooky story club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just really ties the whole show together. Like it makes it removes you enough from the scary story you're being told that even when it's horrifying, you feel safe. And there's this this camaraderie, right? It, we're not going through the horror alone. We're going yes. through it with this group of friends who all have each other's backs, but maybe they're going to also scare each other. And <laughs> Yeah, there's a game to it. They're one-upping there. And that's, you know. that's, that's real. <laughs> like, I think about middle schoolers and their, their desire to start crafting, like, their individual identity in relationship to their social identity and social dynamics. And horror mm-hmm. is a really great way to... To sort of build that rapport with people, uh, you go oh, totally. together, I mean, and and you know, what's your like? You know, everybody's got their own reaction. Like, who's the who's the crybaby? Like, who's the like I'm Mr. Tough Guy, but secretly I'm scared. Like, with Are You Afraid of the Dark? It was just this like that kind of uh, wild card you got every week, with just like not knowing what story it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And pretty much all of them were supernatural. Mm-hmm. But the one I sent you to watch was one that definitely stuck with me. Uh, and that was The Watcher's Woods, yeah. I believe it was called. Which was a witch-themed episode. You know, the idea of The Watcher. Who oh, was that's this... just a creepy idea. You just say it and it's... <laughs> But he's like unnerving. He's supposed to be some kind of like elemental woodland spirit. Yeah, he is not featured as much as you would expect. Yeah, I felt like there was a lot uh, that was not resolved with the Watcher. No, there was a lot of it wasn't. I'm like, hmm. I was ready for this big showdown with the Watcher, and I didn't get it. But I think. that story really is like a modern grim, right? Don't go into the woods at night, you know. The story of these children that had gone into the woods and were kept there. And how now they we find them to be yeah. evil. Mm-hmm. Um, Very good that like those actresses that play the three sisters or the three little girls yeah. grown up. Like again, taking it back to that, you know, the old hag. Uh, stereotype, but, but but they really they really fucking ham it up I, and do a good job. That episode, you know, the the characters was Sarah and Kelly. Um, okay, were the little were the girls who are like the modern day ones who get lost in the woods. They at the beginning of the episode, they're like total opposites. Kelly is like miss mean girl who just wants nothing to do with the goody two-shoes sarah oh and she's so good at being yeah. i love and you can tell at this age that she is an actress she was yeah. born to be an actress she loves acting but you know at the beginning of the episode beginning of that story they're not friends 
you know, the rising action, Kelly screws over Sarah, actually steals her book bag and gets her lost in the woods. And that's that shit's fucked up. Yeah. I was I was yelling at the TV. Like, how are you going to do that? Just at right. least leave her backpack. Yeah, right. But, you know, that is, they, over the course of the story, they leave the woods hugging and they leave the woods friends. Mm -hmm. They've been bonded by this, I mean, trauma, but they've been bonded by this horrific experience. And we kind of get to go through that and bond with them and bond with the Midnight Society bond with our friends that are watching the episode together through this horrific experience but for kids because it's a tv show it's still safe so yeah the the kid it's it's in a way kind of it's got me thinking of alice in wonderland but with just like two alices in a sense yeah. kind of being whisked off to this like a uh, bizarre world that challenges right. them and by the end of it it's transformative which is just an occult idea yeah going at they, its core they enter the woods it's nighttime they're told they have to leave by sunrise really talk about like a dark night of the soul kind of thing being able to yeah. enter into and embrace the shadow realm the shadow side of things and that's very much like Alice in the contrary world um, yeah, especially in Through the Looking Glass with uh, just like constant mirror imagery, everything's mm -hmm. reversed, which, which I, I've said before, I what I love about occultism over like my what I've experienced of mainstream religions is the room for duality, mm -hmm. the room like the acceptance of good, bad, light, dark, just as being it's more about harmony and less about one winning over right. the other yeah they don't exist without each other and so to eradicate one is to then also assume the death of of the other you know which sh is shadows are cast from light you know well and i mean are you afraid of the dark you know like that's uh it's really it's almost like a cone like uh, something to meditate on. Like, oh. are you afraid of the dark? Yeah. Now, now I'm like, whoa, dude. Am I, I know. <laughs> I haven't even smoked weed yet, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> am I afraid of the dark? I am. Uh, That's I a take, great question. When I take Mora up to bed, again, she's a year and a half. Um, you know, I have our, our steps are painted black, and like the hallway is usually dark, and I'll be like. Ooh, it's spooky <laughs> I love yeah. that and so I play spooky with her a lot and she just finds it so funny and happy oh that's great um, so I hope that I'm like predisposing her to not be afraid yeah fear is so fun like it can really it can really be therapeutic it's helped me I'm a you know very anxious person when it comes to the reality of life but when it comes to fantastical you know spooks i'm like the more the merrier i think that part of it is about that control over the experience absolutely so we can shut the book we can turn off the tv but we're still experiencing that exhilaration of fear yeah my dad always said when uh Divorced parents, my dad would always pick me up. We'd go straight to the video store. He'd always get a horror movie, let me watch it with him through, uh, you know, covered eyes. Mm -hmm. And he'd always say to me, when the movie ends, the monsters go away. And I think that's informed my entire approach to horror. That's and beautiful. And even the occult. Uh, yeah. Not necessarily that it goes away, but just that kind of notion that uh, you're in control. Mm -hmm. and not the other way around and and that's so important for young people for children yeah they feel powerless to have that to face fear i mean i was the kind of kid who had had tons of nightmares as a kid so many nightmares every night uh to the point where i taught myself to lucid dream so that i could stop them from happening Whoa. talk about uh, kids with power yeah, I actually like read about it in like a like a Nickelodeon magazine. They're like, 
you can learn how to lucid dream, blah, blah, blah. And I did. <laughs> um, so that I could fight these, like, monsters that lived under the bed in this one recurring dream I'd have. I taught myself how to, like, fight them, basically. Hell yeah. Um, but kids are so powerless in a way, you know. Parents decide everything for them. Teachers... You know, they have to follow schedules that aren't their own. Yeah. And there's a lot in the world that's scary and new. And having that fear experience that's safe. You know, when you're having nightmares, you wake up. Um, and even that, like, beyond fear, just that experience with the, uh, you know, ephemeral, the... Mm -hmm. The unexplainable, the mysterious, the the wondrous, the you know, the occult in a sense. I I mean I was definitely drawn to start investigating witchcraft as a personal practice as a young person because it it made me feel like I was I had a a connection to this unseen energy that helped me feel safe helped me feel and it helped me feel a sense of control yeah Not something that, that's your own and I, my personal practice is a lot to do with cycles of nature astrology and that where i i as an adult can identify that i am not in control of the world I'm not necessarily in control of these cycles. I'm in control of my own free will and how I can live within that. Yeah, you're 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 in control of your own inner world. Right. And the inner world of children is vast. It's even it's oh, yeah. far more vast than ours. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Well, uh I do want to thank you for coming on again. This has been great. Yeah, no, we, I'm sure we could talk forever. We could talk forever. I would love us to talk forever, but we'll definitely have you back. Uh, but do you have anything you want to promote? Want to let the audience know? Want to let the fakers out there know you got going on and how to find you? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Instagram at mggLNT. I am an illustrator. I do lots of portraits and design work. I also have a project with my friend and sound engineer, Madeline Campbell, called Women in Sound. We are really trying during this quarantine time to connect people to resources, especially since so many sound engineers and people working in live performances are out of work for the foreseeable future. So we're doing a lot of work on that. We're going to have our seventh issue hopefully come out in the late spring, early summer. Again, we're trying to be mindful of, you know, the world at large. And do people want a printed zine? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To their door? Maybe um, one on, uh, yeah, plastic. Yeah, <laughs> or not plastic because that lives for like seven Stainless days. Stainless steel. Copper. Everything's Cop made of copper. Oh, okay. There um, we no, go. I'm kidding. But so uh, you can find us on Instagram uh, at Women in Sound. We are here for you. And I hopefully will be able to, once everything's done, being a virusy, be able to get back to a project that I started this at the end of fall, uh, and, excuse me, end of winter, where I actually am looking to make children's books and toys for very young children that introduce concepts of witchcraft in a way that is not sensational yes it's not fictional it's about you know if you are a person who is practicing especially you know i consider myself sort of like a hedge witch so i'm very invested in my plants and nature, if you're practicing sort of themes of magic, you have something you can give your kid that is appropriate to introduce these concepts, but also developmentally appropriate. So furthering along their motor skills, their, um, their reading skills, all of that fun stuff. So trying to integrate all my different sides. So hopefully uh, by the fall, I'll be able to move forward on some of that stuff again. 
keep follow my Instagram, keep posted. Hell yeah, I love it. Well, you can follow us at Fake Ritual on Instagram and Facebook at Fake Ritual and on Twitter at Fake Ritual Blog. Uh, that's all we have for you today. And one more thanks to Maggie for joining me and uh, teaching the kids uh, what's cool and what's up. Thank you so much, Lucas. I really am enjoying seeing your face virtually and being able to share a little knowledge on your podcast. Oh, yeah. All right. Goodbye, folks. Ciao.